Hi, I'm Rajneesh. And I'm Bridget. Welcome to TerraScience. The podcast where reality matters. Today we had Dr. Paul Mills. We discussed whole health approaches, including uh, meditation and yoga being included in different integrative health practices. And really what excited me about this conversation was how these practices not only change how you feel yourself, not only self-realization and self-health, but also how we view the world and how we approach problems that affect us every day. I think it was a really enlightening conversation. We have a very special guest today, uh, Dr. Paul Mills. I met Paul uh, when I went to the Chopra Foundation's meeting in Florida and uh, always enjoyed conversations with Paul. He really knows a lot about meditation and its application in mental health. Paul is a professor of public health and family medicine, director of Center of Excellence for Research and Training in Integrative Health, former chief of behavioral medicine at the University of California, San Diego. And his uh, work has been featured in Time Magazine, New York Times, National Public Radio, U.S. News, World Report, Consumer Reports, just to name a few. So it's wonderful to have you here, Paul. Sure, I'd be happy to. And thank you for the introduction, Raj and Bridget. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. I've, I've been listening to some of your prior episodes with other guests and have enjoyed them. As you said, where reality matters, and I'm very interested in reality. Not the reality that's often shown to us, but what, what we know is more behind the scenes. How do I get into the work that I do? Uh, certainly in the field of integrated medicine, behavioral medicine. What launched me in that direction were some experiences with meditation when I was a young kid. I learned transcendental meditation when I was in high school. And a few months into the practice, I had what's commonly called like, like an out-of-body experience. I left my Paul self behind and ended up in a, the larger self. And of course, this was new to me. I had no idea what was going on. And that led me on many, many years adventure of learning more about the Eastern philosophy or esoteric Western traditions. And of course, deepening my practice. And that eventually led me into science and the integrative side, because I wanted to study meditation and everything about it to see how does it work and what, what is it revealing to us that we normally don't get exposure to in, in other aspects of our cultures and belief systems. And that led me ultimately really to meeting you. Uh, we were just speaking how we met in Orlando. Uh, it was last year, I think, as part of the Chopra Foundation. And I had been working with the Chopra Foundation maybe six, seven years. And that work really led, because of my prior exposure to meditation, some of my learning with the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, which was very much part of Deepak's path. So when we met and we started chatting and we compared our histories in that regard, there was such a resonance just as far as the experience, but also just the worldview. And so I started working with the foundation and we launched a research program. I think we've done a lot of good work and I look forward to chatting with you about some of that research. That's great. Um, I, I think uh, integrative medicine is sort of new to people. Uh, not everyone may know exactly what, what that means. So maybe we can start by defining it a little bit and then jumping into the nuances and, and why it is so important for people to think towards it. Yeah, happy to describe that. What we now call integrative medicine, or sometimes the more preferred term these days is integrative health. This concept really grew out of what was called the complementary and alternative medicine movement that started in, in the West in the biomedical model back in the late 70s, let's say early 80s. 
And the idea there was to take the best of some of the Eastern traditions, meditation practice. How can it influence our health and well-being? Psychosocial health, spiritual health, physical health, yoga, breathing practices, all of that. And that was really the beginning where the, the goal was to begin to explore other traditions and the modalities of those traditions and determine how can we incorporate them into our Western biomedical system to really begin to cultivate health and well-being. So that's it in a nutshell. There's lots of other interesting nuances, but uh, the work with the Chopra Foundation has been very much in that area, particularly to define the value of what are called whole systems of medicine. We studied Ayurveda for a variety of reasons. There are numerous other whole system traditions. And what are the benefits when a person is really submerged into all these practices simultaneously? Of course, the right ones for them. What are the effects on health and well-being? And you talked a lot about um, taking those, those different practices from the Eastern traditions, right? And you know, I've, I've looked into different meditations as well and how that could help with things like mental health and such for students. But when it comes to like the medical side, if it's helping, you know, I, some of your research talked about different heart conditions or cancer or mm-hmm. other aspects of health. Um, what are some of the pushback, pushbacks that you've uh, <laughs> seen when it, you're trying to you know, bring together these Eastern traditions and um, things that have connections to religions and then bringing that into the medical side? That's a great question. And that just leads to such a fascinating, really, journey of the whole field of complementary medicine all the way up to now the integrative. When I first started doing my dissertation research on meditation, people would come up when I was presenting at a conference, Society for Neuroscience and elsewhere, and say, excuse me, what is meditation? It was so early then that people didn't really know about it. So mm-hmm. there was immediately began to be pushback. Well, meditation is when we do this. And, and I would get things like, well, do you really believe in meditation? These kinds of things. Right. Um, that evolved over time as the research has accumulated. I, currently, there are over 5,500 studies on meditation and as many or more on yoga. So the, the scientific basis is there and we've moved into more of a comfort zone. You might not know, but there are currently over 80 centers for integrated medicine in the United States and Canada. And these are centers typically at major institutions, you know, Harvard, Stanford, the University of California, San Diego, UCLA, Berkeley. All the big institutions have these centers because it was begun to be recognized that, okay, these these techniques can really help. Mm -hmm. Whether it's something as simple as blood pressure or helping moderate depression and anxiety, inflammation and on and on where there's still a gap between some of the more holistic perspectives on what it constitutes a human being is what's commonly called the biofield. You know, the whole, the aura, the energy system around the body that contains information about our histories and, and uh, susceptibility to disease. That hasn't uh, quite made it yet. Uh, there's research on it and there's some movement in that regard. Yeah, but I mean, some of the work uh, that, you know, I've seen uh, quite a bit of publications that, that you've um, published. And uh, what's uh, really fascinating to me as a molecular biologist is that you've actually looked at uh, chemistry, biochemistry. You've looked at um, even microbiomes and you've looked at m- many uh, measurable uh, parameters uh, as, an, as the effect of meditation, yoga, and I think that 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 is more more recent and um, should be able to convince 
even the uh, you know uh, more hard to convince people that there is something to it because you can detect those changes. Yeah, I appreciate that comment. That has been an effort of ours to do hard biochemistry. Mm-hmm. Some of our early research on meditation was looking at adrenergic receptors and the stress hormones, epinephrine and norepinephrine. And what happens to that whole triad of physiology uh, when a person starts meditating and, and, and does it change? And if so, is that why people's blood pressure gets normalized or is that why mm-hmm. they just feel less stress and anxiety moment to moment? And the microbiome work, that's been fascinating. A lot of that, of course, with the Chopra Foundation has been Dr. Christine Peterson's work, and she's been a pioneer in that regard. And it's really been illuminating uh, what things, uh, things, not only meditation, but just the different herbs associated with Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, and on and on. And she's been doing work linking how the microbiome can change with certain herbal concoctions and, and meditation for the benefit of people with different uh, movement disorders, such as Parkinson's disease. So that's very satisfying. And you're right, the more hard endpoints has helped sway some of the skeptical biomedical mindset and progressing the field forward. Right. And and uh, I know uh, recently you uh, uh, co-edited edition for the whole, on whole health the journal. And uh, I was looking at some of the papers and there is a lot of that cumulatively. Uh, really good articles in it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, a few things. So yes, this was a special issue on the topic of whole health. And it came out of the journal called Global Advances in Health and Medicine. And this is the official journal of what's called the Academic Consortium for Integrated Medicine and Health, which relates to those 80 centers I mentioned earlier. So anything integrative that these centers produce, they try to run it through this journal as kind of the mouthpiece of latest evidence. And this special issue was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a lot of work too. Yes. But the, the, the goal was to bring really the field of integrative health up to speed with some of the latest observations. Uh, some of the uh, work that we wrote in there and that Deepak wrote a special commentary had to do with the need to remember that the whole person is more than the body-mind system. We have to include the transcendent aspect, the spiritual aspect. So we had several papers uh, attending to that, which to me was really some of the most important aspects of the issue, because the rest was more the standard biological, which is good, of course, but there is enough accumulating evidence that we've wanted to start pushing the conversation into really the transcendent consciousness itself. And I think the issue hopefully will have some some push in that in that regard. Uh, we had, yeah, Bridget. I was just going to say, I think the idea of whole health is super important um, because we're not all the same. And, you know, what helps one person, you know, might not be the same that helps another person. So when it it comes to things like meditation or yoga or different types of, you know, um, health, what's the word for it? Like intervention, maybe. Um, How do you approach the implementation of that when, you know, what one person needs is so different to Mm -hmm. somebody else per se in that whole health perspective. Yes, that is the question. And really, as far as the world of integrated medicine and whole health, we're honestly not there yet. These various centers for integrated medicine I mentioned that do provide prescriptions for meditation, yoga, acupuncture, Reiki, all these other modalities, herbs, it's still all presented, for the most part, in the biomedical mindset. 
mm-hmm. meaning, oh, you have some low back pain. I'm going to, here's a yoga prescription that might help you. These kinds of things. You have anxiety and high blood pressure. We're going to have you learn meditation. But as I said at the beginning, traditionally, and the beauty of whole systems such as Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, traditional Native American medicine, and on and on, Tibetan medicine, the whole approach is the person's evaluated simultaneously on multiple levels, mind, body, and the spiritual Mm -hmm. nature. And the prescriptions are given to all of those simultaneously and then implemented. So that's the goal of the integrative movement, certainly in the West and the U.S., but we're not there, I think, just because of the, the way the biomedical mindset is, 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 is oriented. It's just like that, the, what's it, the, ill for, the pill for an ill. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. still do that. Meditation for this, yoga for that. Someday it'll be coming more comprehensive. And we've written about that because the truth is that's the goal of the Chopra Foundation research we did. We thought, well, the integrative world is all about the evidence base. There were enough studies on meditation, for example, back in the day that, okay, it does work. Let's use it. Yoga, etc. But there hadn't been any true whole person research studies. All the research was either this modality or that modality. So when we launched the the study for the Chopra Foundation, it was called the Self-Directed Biological Transformation Initiative. Honestly, that was the very first randomized trial where a person was submerged into a traditional system where they got all the modalities simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And that started this conversation in the evidence base for the whole system. So if we can have more research like that, then I think eventually the biomedical model will adapt this more as something that's really valuable. And that was one of the reasons. Yeah, we, that we actually that makes me think of something uh, interesting, uh, the way you described it. You know, coming from uh, Indian uh, background and being immersed in that kind of culture, I think I think the general approach of lifestyle or living is uh, is designed to be become becoming more self aware, or you know, um, sort of sort of being knowing about who you are. And there's a lot of there are a lot of practices that help people there, and then alternative medicine uh, kind of supports that thinking. I think here in the Western world, it's a little bit flipped. We 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 are trying to push the alternative medicine in a way that so that it applies to the whole. But there is less and less of that self-realization and self-awareness. So um, to me, it seems like we need we need that first in a way, and maybe that's where meditation can help. So so self-realization and self-awareness. If one has that, then the acceptance of of these practices uh, will be uh, almost automatic. Right, and that's kind of I I think it's fascinating how you were saying earlier like prescription like a yoga prescription i think like i've never heard of that before but almost in in the like the western culture to take it seriously as like a something that could help you medically saying that you have a yoga prescription you got to do this to help you that might actually have a, a difference in the way people you know take it seriously if they were to go to um like a health center and that's it in that case. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It does have that effect. People have written about that mm-hmm. within the biomedical model. And Raj, I really appreciated your perspective on that. Things have been a bit inverted. And I also agree that, you know, for example, people can go out and learn yoga through places like core yoga, where yoga is being presented more as 
physical exercise. But that's okay because it's it's like a gateway into a larger system because the more a person practices these different things, other parts of their psyche and consciousness slowly get activated that then lead to questions that then put them on this path of a greater opening. Mm -hmm. That is the other aspect is it's hard to force somebody in that direction. You know, it, it's kind of a something that you have to do willingly to really have the the benefits. Yeah. 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 And then there is some, some, a little bit of, I think guidance is needed early on because mm -hmm. just, um, um, getting into it is not that, that easy, unless if you know what your goal is, you need to be, uh, if you're going towards self-realization, you have to accept certain things about yourself before you can go into it. So, so there is some mm -hmm. guidance. And I mean, Deepak himself has an app and uh, I think Paul, you also are involved with, uh, with some of those. Um, are, are there any clinical trials or there are like, uh, like with Western medicine, are there some clinical aspects talking about prescription? So uh, are there other similarities with, with this approach, uh, like with clinical trials? Hmm. Uh, I'm not aware of any fully. Okay. But what you mentioned did remind me of something from the, the primary study we did with the Chopra Foundation. And, th and this was this. We, we emerged people in the Ayurvedic system for seven days. And what does that mean? Well, if they didn't know meditation, they learned a technique and they practiced it intensively. They practiced yoga intensively. They had Ayurvedic massages with certain oils specific for them. They had a certain... Um, diet specific for their constitution and so on and so forth. In addition to the biological changes we saw, what was fascinating is what emerged from that was also a transformation in their consciousness. We documented with some of our psychosocial questionnaires, they had increases in self-compassion. They had decreased in their sense of egotism and orientation to the world as a person who is a playing a role in society. Their orientation expanded to be more than that, to be part of more of the, the world around them. We even gave a questionnaire which queries on this concept of non-dual consciousness and everyone's scores improved. It's not as if they went into non-duality permanently, but there was a sense of expansion. So to me, that gets to your point, Raj, and really the wisdom of traditional systems. If you treat a person holistically, everything else starts turning on as it, as it should be, because that's what we are innately anyway. We've just had these things bogged down and turned off for a variety of reasons of our Western mental intellectual culture. But that's not who we really are. Oh, and and we, just last week, we had a, a, a recording, a wonderful conversation with uh, Molly Beauregard, and she's teaching consciousness-based uh, education uh, so uh, you know mm -hmm. for young adults and um, ex finding exactly the same things that you're describing um, I think especially at early ages that if we train people to not get uh, bogged down and and uh, become buried under all the issues and problems that are around them they can easily emerge out by knowing by mm -hmm. self-realization self-awareness and once that happens like you're saying the the broadness of care, empathy, uh, looking more at the world rather than self-promotion, all these things just fall right into place. And it's amazing yeah. how, how uh, this can be accomplished. And 
really i think that there needs to be a lot more of this <laughs> every mm-hmm. single individual needs yeah. to needs to try this and the moving away from being a, a do-it-yourselfer right. when she talked about that that resonated because i feel like that's how i've been a lot of the time huh. as i you know no, don't like relying on other people and i'm I think I can do it better on my own, which is not always true. It's good to collaborate. It's good to connect and, you know, share a lot more of the things that you're, you're working on and experiencing with other people and relating and stuff that, that kind of brings a lot more um, benefits to yourself also. Hmm. Yeah. That is really inspiring. I, I was not aware of her work and what you're describing with the children. God knows we need that. University, university students, students, university uh, students. Young yeah. adults, yeah. yeah. Like I think, what did she say, 20, 25-year-olds? So, uh, yeah, that was a very interesting conversation and falls right along with, with what you're describing, only that you're looking at it from a medical perspective. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think what's impressive here is uh, actually data sets to, to uh, show the real effects. And as we know, even, you know, if you went into a little bit of psychedelic side, uh, even some of the pathways that are activated that we know the receptors uh, there are there are studies showing that the same kind of pathways are being activated by by meditation and these practices so uh, you don't need psychedelics you can achieve uh, those kinds of experiences by just activating those uh, dmt within yourself perhaps <laughs> yeah I, there's more and more of that going on <laughs> right. with great effects well earlier before we started recording we mentioned the book and that reminds me of the book that i right. uh, just wrote and will be coming out in october because the book is about looking at more so biomedical scientists and some physicists and their spiritual life and the first part of the book tracks well what happened what was the circumstance where you had your say awakening a transpersonal experience a mystical experience metaphysical and it covers the gamut, but quite a few of them that I interviewed had it through psychedelics. Right. <laughs> Before they took it, they had a very materialistic mindset. They felt that they existed within their mind and their body, and that was the whole of them. And then I, I would say I'm one of them, oh. but although I didn't have that much of a materialistic mindset even before. But uh, I, I, I had more of it, more leaning more towards them. But then it did change. It, I, it was a life-changing experience sorry bridget you were saying you're good you're good i i was gonna say i wonder um how many you know the the same cases were also from maybe severe hardship or you know feeling more on the side of being depressed or not you know anything well and, and kind of getting from just so much suffering to realizing oh you i can i cannot suffer and um change the way that I see the world or think and or handle my own thoughts um, in that case. Absolutely, too. yes. The whole yeah, gamut. Yeah. Uh, for example, so Rajneesh, yes, I highlighted your story in the book in several spots and it's really yes, excellent. Thank you. <laughs> because much of your section has to do with us when we, uh, let's say, uncover the guru within, the self within, which gives us knowledge, which becomes our mentor along the path. But as far as different uh, experiences, let's see, people have their awakenings through meditation practice. We mentioned psychedelics already. Some had awakenings by just lying on the grass, looking at the stars, allowing themselves to merge into the infinite, which is often called Tibetan sky gazing as a technique. 
But this person didn't know about that technique because she did it when she was young. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then she learned about it later. So that's uh, interesting. So some people just kind of have it naturally without making an effort or, or without knowing about it. Uh, it just kind of uh, happens. Yeah. That, that's an interesting aspect. Well, it is our true nature. So whatever it's going to take to reveal it, for some of us, a little harder than others. But eventually, hopefully, it finds its way through. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you mentioned the book. Uh, uh, tell us the title. And I, you said it's coming out in October. We'll all be looking forward to it. Uh, and so, yeah. Yeah, the title is Science, Being, and Becoming. And then the subtitle is The Spiritual Lives of Scientists. And uh, Deepak wrote the foreword. And Ken Wilber wrote a special commentary. And then we have some other commentaries in there, too, in addition to what I wrote. So the purpose of the book is to document that this stuff has been going on. It's going on. And how is it transforming science itself? Yeah, I, I think science is opening a little bit more towards these approaches, along with uh, psychedelics and, and therapeutic applications and, and other uh, other resources that, that we've always had, but we always uh, distanced ourselves from it. So I'm glad that science is looking more towards these things because they can have a huge uh, differential uh, positive effect without the pharmaceutical approaches. Uh, and, you know, I think we have to come up with a model that becomes uh, profitable <laughs> because only then, only then it can survive. Well, if health and well-being were profitable, that's going to be the model. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. But it's not very profitable. No. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's a, it's a tricky, yeah. tricky path. So that's definitely one of the challenges. Yeah. 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 And uh, what do you? Yeah, Bridget. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yes, there were people in the book whose transformations occurred as a result of intense stress, family stress. Parents who were uh, not healthy had mental illnesses, and the stress it caused in the family was so intense that it did lead to a kind of opening for them. Uh, there, there were several who just had so much depression in medical school that led that led them to seek things out, and then had a path and an opening. So. There are innumerable stories as there are people, and I've just documented a few of them in the book. It's about 30 people that I interviewed. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, um, I really look, we're looking forward to that because each story will yeah. have something exciting and different to share. And, and as a cumulative, I think many people will be able to relate to many of those stories. I hope so. Part of the reason of the book, uh, there were a couple, but a primary one for me is over my years at the university, I've watched many young biomedical scientists and other scientists in training struggling with getting their mind into the materialist scientific mindset when they themselves are innately more holistic for whatever reason. And we would have conversations and I would try to guide them and assure them, you can do this and it'll work out. So the purpose of the book is to share all these stories and there are certain other stories in the book and a kind of a narrative to inspire young scientists and people in general. Uh, that, that this is a natural part of being a human being. And really everyone should be encouraged and enthused to pursue this path, the path, say, consciousness development or the spiritual path as we know it. Mm -hmm. And it, it's important. I, you yeah. know, I think from my own experience, um, I feel like if I, I started to fully realize the importance of it a little bit later in my life. And I think that's true for most people in our generation. And it's really important to push it forward uh, a little bit 
uh, to the younger generation uh, if you want to make a better world uh, take mm-hmm. care of the planet uh, this is the most important thing we can do to make people realize early on how important it is to to know what they can feel how they can uh, relate to the world and what they can do for the world and it just makes lives better it makes everyone much better it's hard i feel like when you're younger and especially my generation and even younger than my generation to know what is important like when we go online it seems like there's so many things that are important and they're all kind of arbitrary a lot of the time and time consuming and it's hard to really narrow it down for yourself to know what you want to spend your time on or educate yourself on or even just take the time to learn different practices that you know require patience with yourself um so i i don't know if you have any ideas advice. or tactics when it comes to like or advice yeah when it comes to sharing it with younger generations um but i think that is one of the biggest impactful areas of you know increasing people's awareness of of this type of um integrative health yeah you know what you said really it just fills my heart with compassion because i see that in so many young people nieces and nephews and family and friends and on and on because the young kids are so bombarded with so much information and it's hard to know what's true what's not true mm-hmm. what's relevant for me right. to take up and follow yeah and for me, honestly, this gets back to the importance of the spiritual path, because when a person's on a spiritual path and they're developing, they're developing, amongst other things, their own inner wisdom, their own inner guidance. It's well documented in some of the most, the more esoteric traditions, how certain aspects of our, let's say, biofield system, there's even specific chakras that get activated that support our own inner wisdom. So that the guidance, what's good for me, I begin to know within my own self. I'm not having another person mm-hmm. tell me what I should or shouldn't do, go this way, go that way, and so forth. It's wisdom. Right. It's, it's often called discernment on the spiritual path. And ultimately, I, I'm all for human beings becoming utterly sovereign unto themselves. True self-determination based on their own spiritual wisdom. And that then would be an entirely different world that we would live in in the society based on on that level of choosing what to do and what not to do. And it also influences how we treat another person. Because honestly, the more spiritually mm-hmm. developed we are, there's more love and compassion and we treat other people also as someone worthy of having love and compassion and, and guidance that they need. That's really well said. In yeah. that regard. <laughs> Very yeah. well said. I think that, that that's really is, is yeah, an important definitely. aspect for young people to realize. And it's hard uh, in the current environment uh, because we, we teach uh, our schools and colleges, train them to chase their dream. And it's always a race. <laughs> Whereas, you know, a dream, I think if, if you allow yourself to dream, then the rest just falls falls in place. Um, you don't have to chase anything. Yeah. Uh, and but yeah, it's but mm-hmm. it's usually it's too it's later when we realize that, and then you look yeah. back. Oh, I could have done these things in much a much more easier way and not gone through this hardship. <laughs> but you know, Joseph Campbell, his main advice to people was 
follow your bliss. Uh, what did that mean? He yeah. said it over and over. What it means is follow your inner guidance. Because when we're doing things that are fulfilling to us, we do have more joy and a sense of bliss and meaning in life. Right. Yeah. But it's unfortunate, right. as you said, Rajneesh, that most of us, when we're young, we're kind of given guidance other than that from the internal compass, and it's more the social family compass. But some people, maybe more and more people now, do wake up over time and say, okay, I've had enough of this. I've always wanted to do this, and I'm going to do it. And those are some of the books I really love to read, mm -hmm. right. where somebody was deep in a long career, and they've always had this nagging sense. You know, They weren't happy, certainly, but they were good at it. And this gets to an area that some people mm -hmm. speak about, uh, all of us have, um, let's say, uh, fields of expertise. Right. So I can be good at a lot of jobs, but what's my field of genius, my realm of genius? And genius gets to what am I here really to do, to develop, and what are my gifts mm -hmm. that I can give to other people? Right. And that you find by following right. your bliss, your intuition, you know, inner guidance. Would, would you say that uh, during the pandemic, more people actually started to pay attention to that and maybe took up more of the things that they like to do? Uh, so the pandemic had some positive impacts as well. Agreed. Uh, I, I, I certainly know many people who made some major changes uh, to career because of that. You know, it's curious. This is a sidebar, but I was looking to buy a new guitar uh, yesterday, actually, and I was online and was looking for a specific model that I had when I was in college, trying to get another one like it. And it's so interesting, when the pandemic started, the price of guitars I noticed online jumped up quite a bit because there are these graphs, right. the years and months. And I thought, wow, that's great. Yeah. All these closet musicians yeah. during the pandemic said, damn it, I'm finally going to learn how to play. <laughs> and maybe we'd see the same thing for pianos and yeah. wind instruments and percussion. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, probably yeah. books. Right. More, more creative outlets. Yeah. Uh, more people yeah. staying home and mm -hmm. uh, spending more time being creative. And I think also on the flip side of that, you know, when when you're thinking about understanding or sensing what that bliss is, and then deciding mm -hmm. to follow it, I think the other side is understanding what you're doing right now that's really not, you know, making you happy or fulfilled, or um, at any way, you know happy with your life and being able to stop that or change course. And like you said, if you're someone's in a full-time career and knowing that that, okay, maybe that's time to, to put that aside and follow, you know, what it is that your bliss is or try other things to find it. It's hard when, when things are centered around money, but if you have the opportunity to stop certain things, that's also, you know, important thank you for that. That, that makes a lot that of sense, sense to me. I, to me, that's a lot of wisdom right there, what you just said, because it goes part and parcel. Yeah, and, and I think it's related to feeling secure because, because you know, even if you may be mm -hmm. in a really bad situation, but you feel secure being in there and, and you don't want to change. Right. But, but then this, this is right. the whole, whole uh, amazing thing that I also experienced when I went, started practicing this. What, what it allows to you, you to do is distance yourself uh, as yourself from other things. And as that distance occurs, then you feel secure within yourself. Then you don't have to rely on 
external securities. And that really changes and allows you to then make those kinds of decisions. And, and, you know, that, that's really a mm-hmm. really amazing process. Beautiful. Yeah. The simple way that I think about it is like if you're making a to-do list of things you want to do, it's also make a <laughs> to-stop list of things that you want to not have to you do. You should operationalize that. Bridget, stop this. <laughs> Put it online. Might have worked, I don't know. She, she, has, she has prescribed yoga and she started That's The prescription is write a <laughs> to-stop list. <laughs> That's very cool. That's funny. Yeah. Well, great. Uh, Paul, would you like to share uh, something else, a project you're working on or, you know, um, as something that you'd like to share? Um, you know, the book was had me so immersed and that's really off my plate more so as of this morning where I, I just finished a few more paragraphs where I had some ideas over the weekend. I think otherwise, I'd just like to go follow up on what you were saying, Bridget, this idea of the stopping. And, and you were referring to it, Rajneesh, but it is often hard for a person because we're, we're in something that's known and is comfortable. It could be mm-hmm. there's the financials right. that are comfortable. It could be, well, I'm living in a family or a you know, living situation with somebody. It's not good. There's Perhaps there's abuse or you're just depressed or there's not things there that you want but it's familiar. So you just keep hanging right. with it. And it, it does take something deep inside and some courage to find the way out of that. But from what I've seen through people's stories, the people who ultimately do that might have a rough spot for who knows, a year or two getting reoriented, but eventually the life becomes much more meaningful and full of joy. And, and then they're in a position again, this idea that each of us as people have gifts to share in the world. And it's only under those kind of circumstances where those gifts can begin to emerge. And then we give them out. And then other people's lives are better too. So that's wonderful. Yeah, Yeah, that's Uh, Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. And, and overall, I think the research that you do and public, you know, the publications that you're putting out there are really important. Um, So I hope we're able to, to share that a little bit more at the podcast. And if you're listening, please share um, this this interview and discussion with Paul and to anybody and else. And we'll have uh, Paul back uh, after the book comes out, which is not too far. Hey, that's uh, great. We, yeah. we can do a book launch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, let's do it. it. Yes. <laughs> and maybe you could post the awesome. link to the special issue for those who are interested in the integrative yes. world. They can yes. see all yes. the papers. We'll put okay. that in Thank the description for Thank sure. You. Yeah. Thank you, Paul, for, yeah. for joining us on the TerraScience podcast. Thank you. Please like and subscribe. Hit the notification bell if you'd like to hear any more of our future episodes, and we'll see you in the Thanks. next one. You've been watching TerraScience, the podcast where reality matters. We discuss food, planet, consciousness, the issues that we face, and the solutions that can be offered. And we discuss with uh, wonderful guests who are leading the way in finding these solutions. Don't forget to like and subscribe and hit that notification bell.